If you've got a Bible, uh, turn to Luke chapter 15. Uh, there are Bibles around the room on the floor. If you use something like the YouVersion app on your phone, uh, you can feel free to go uh, there with us. You know, one of the things we've been doing throughout this course of the series is just hearing from uh, people of this church and uh, just a little bit of their story of finding their way back to God. And, uh, well, one of the guys that was a part of that original team to help start this campus, uh, John Elzinga is here, and he and his family uh, have been a part of this church, well, a lot longer than I have, almost way back to the very beginning uh, of Genesis and and uh, John, it's been so fun to, to get to know you. And why, why don't you share with us just a little bit of how you've uh, been finding your way back to God through Genesis Church? Uh, you know, first of all, I want to apologize because I don't have a, a, a big, juicy story to, to tell. In fact, I told Paul when he called me this week and asked me to come up here, I said, uh, you know, it's not too exciting. It's pretty boring. It, and I kind of equated it to um, a dimmer switch that, uh, you know, for a light that starts on low and you turn it up. And, you know, that's how I kind of started out with my faith. It started on low, and then it went up from there. I grew up uh, Methodist, kind of a part-time Methodist. Well, more, well, less than part-time because we went Christmas and Easter and maybe a few other times uh, throughout the year. And it, and it wasn't until I was probably in my mid-20s that I started attending church, I would say more often, not regular, but more often. And then um, I met my wife, Kathy, or future wife, Kathy, and... Uh, Started attending, I would say, on a regular basis at that point. And then it was at that time I began to realize how important uh, having a relationship with God is in your life and how important it is to have that. Uh, fast forward a number of years, um, I, got by, I got baptized again. I was sprinkled as a child, but I got baptized again here at Genesis. Um, and that actually was precipitated by... Uh, my three daughters, we were, Kathy and I were having a conversation with them about baptism and, and how it's a, you know, profession, a public profession of your faith. And uh, as, I, as I was saying that, I realized I was being a little hypocritical that I had not done that. Um, I had not taken that step to be baptized. So one morning, my good friend Ben Krause at the Noblesville campus, he baptized me, and then I was able to stay in the water, and then I was able to baptize my three daughters right after that. That was, that was really a cool moment for, for us as a family. Um, so here I am today, um, a Christian, a husband, a father. Uh, I struggle. I still do the wrong things at times. And, um, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, the finding your way back to God piece is that regardless of where you are in your faith um, or in my dimmer switch analogy, regardless of how bright that light is, there's always room to, to turn it back up a little bit more. Mm. You know, I love your story, John, because it just really highlights, obviously, the importance of that life-changing moment where we trust Christ and the eternal difference that makes for us forever, but what it also means to keep growing in that and the joy of just knowing the Lord more and more each day and realizing that it's not just about going through the motions of going to church, you know, every Sunday or a couple of times a year for that matter, but it really is about a relationship uh, with Him. And so uh, I, I just love you, man, and thanks so much for, for serving and for just the commitment you've made to Christ uh, and to this church. And uh, again, Luke 15, uh, starting in verse 11, if you'll uh, read our story for us today. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will, be set out and I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with great compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Amen. Hey, will you join me in thanking John uh, for sharing with us today a little more this story? Thanks, John. You know, this series, we've been looking at five awakenings that we see in the story uh, of the lost son, and we're looking at them because they're the same five awakenings that we experience, too, as we're uh, finding our way back to God. The first awakening, which we talked about week one, is awakening to this longing. And and this just reminds us that it doesn't matter who you are or how long you've uh, been around church. It doesn't matter what you think of God, uh, maybe even your impression of of God here today. What he's done is he's put in every single one of us these longings, uh, these desires for more, this desire desire for meaning and for purpose, uh, this desire to, to make sense out of our lives. And these longings are good things. Uh, they're given to us by God. And so it's natural to think, you know what, there has to be more uh, to this life. But what happens is, is when we go looking to satisfy these longings in other places, uh, we go looking to these other things to do for us uh, that which only God can do. And so many times what happens is it leads to the second awakening, and that is awakening to regret. And uh, this happens when we realize that we can't satisfy these longings uh, on our own. And so often, uh, so often what happens for, for so many people is that we find ourselves falling into to places and, and to circumstances, these uh, places of desperation, um, places that we never thought or, or dreamt that we would be. Last week was the third awakening, awakening to help, and this happens uh, when we admit that we're really powerless on our own, uh, that there's nothing that we can do for ourselves to really satisfy these longings uh, that are within, and what happens is, and what we pray for, and what, what we hope that ultimately happens for you and in our lives is that we discover that help has a name for us, uh, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. You know, it's a, it's a big part of the mission of our church. Uh, that's what we're here to proclaim is that help has a name for us, and it's Jesus. And we talked about last week the kind of father uh, that we come back to. It's the kind of father that Jesus is describing in this story. He's a father that's waiting and longing and looking for his son uh, to come home. And what was his reaction? We talked about this last week. When he saw his son, he, 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 he ran to him, and he ran to him, and he grabbed him and embraced him and, and welcomed him back. And this leads us to where we are today. Uh, you know, we've experienced these three awakenings that have led us back. We see it in the son in this story, led him back to his father. He's home. Uh, but even though he's home, and so many times for you and me, even though we come home, our journey hasn't ended yet. 
Uh, because these awakenings for us aren't just something that happens once, you know, that we, we, we find our way back to God and we're done. I mean, we find our way back to Him and all of a sudden everything is fine and, and dandy and all that. But instead, what we discover is that when we find our way back to God, that we do experience this life-changing moment. And, and it is a moment that makes all of the difference uh, for you and, and, uh, forever. Uh, but it's also the beginning of a life-growing, a life-changing start of process for us. And this can be really difficult to understand. You know, especially if you come to Christ, you know, in a powerful sort of conversion. I mean, so often when we come home, we expect that everything is going to be magically uh, fixed for us. But the truth is that in so many cases, you know, even when we find our way back home, when we come to the Father, we still have some of those remnants of our old life uh, that tend to hang around. I mean, so often, you know, after we come home, it's easy to forget uh, who we are. I mean, we can sometimes you know, even lose our identity. And, uh, you know, in our culture today, uh, this issue of identity theft uh, is one of the fastest growing crimes. I mean, every week you see another story. Every week you hear another story. Maybe you've encountered this or been a victim to this in some way or know someone that it has. Statistics show that somewhere around 15 million Americans are affected by identity theft uh, every year. That's 5% of the U.S. population. Again, it seems like not a week goes by, again, that you don't hear uh, some story about identity theft. I was reading one story this past week about a new form of identity theft, uh, one that's even more insidious because you don't even really know that it's going on, but apparently some pretty savvy thieves uh, have been begun taking uh, one piece of a person's identity, like a social security number or something, and then linking it to a new name uh, or a new address or uh, uh, as a way of getting, again, to their credit. And in this case, uh, it just means that there's a whole new identity that's created where part of it's true uh, and the rest of it's a lie. And so as you can imagine, again, this causes all kinds of problems uh, for the person whose identity is being compromised. And in this unique case, uh, it's even more difficult because it's an identity uh, that's made up of half-truths. And this is what, what happens so many times uh, when we find our way back to God. We give ourselves uh, this identity, or we uh, take this identity, or we, we, we look to this identity that, that's only partially true. And, uh, and so we believe uh, these lies about our identity instead. I mean, lies that come from our own insecurity. Uh, we believe lies that have to do what the world is saying or uh, lies that the enemy is speaking uh, specifically into our lives. And we see this clearly in the story of the lost son. I mean, first of all, uh, remember what had just happened. Again, I alluded to it a moment ago, but in Luke 15, uh, the second half of verse 20, it says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And now watch this over in verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, I want you to see here that this son uh, is living with a case of mistaken identity because part of what he says is true. I mean, when he responds, you know, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you, that's true. But then there's the lie attached to it, this lie that he is allowed to become a part of his identity when he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's even after you know, his father ran to him with mercy and compassion. It's even after being embraced and kissed and cried upon. I mean, even after all of these unmistakable signs of the father's love and grace, and that's probably something you've seen. 
I mean, you've probably seen that in some friends or some family members. I mean, people that you know and people that you love that maybe had a powerful encounter uh, with this church or a powerful encounter with God, and maybe they were baptized, but then life happened. And all of these circumstances surrounded them, and they just didn't know how to deal with them. They didn't know how to process them. And, you know, again, maybe they were baptized, and, and all of a sudden there were just some doubts that came creeping back in, or their old life following them around, and they had a difficult time, or are having a difficult time shedding these old ways. Uh, it happens to you and me too. I mean, maybe you found your way back to God and you're trying to change your life, but you still have this memory. You still have this vestige of, of your old self. And every once in a while, again, these longings that we have that God put in us, we go looking to other things to fulfill and satisfy these longings. And, and so instead of drawing closer to the Father, we're actually moving farther away from Him. And the next thing you know, you end up in places you never intended to be. You're doing things that you never thought that you would do. You're left with pain and regret, and then come the doubts. The doubts like, you know, God, God won't take me back, or I'm just a phony. I, I've embarrassed myself. I've embarrassed my family. I, I don't deserve his love anymore. I think that's a little bit of what this younger son had to be feeling as he returns home. I mean, he's coming back to his father, but this shadow of shame is following him around, and now, well, you know what? It, it often does that for us too. I mean, shame can be pretty overwhelming, can't it? I mean, shame is that sort of thing that can cast a shadow over a, a, a joyous homecoming. Shame uh, causes us to forget where we belong. Uh, shame's great at telling you, you know what? You don't deserve this, or uh, you've made a mess of your life, or you're not worthy of, of his love or anyone's love. Shame wants us to get us believing that nothing has really changed. Shame gets us doubting our own salvation uh, shame can give us this false identity and keep us from embracing who we really are. And that's why we all need this fourth awakening. You know, even after we come home, even after we come into a relationship with Christ, this fourth awakening is vital for us. And it's just simply this awakening to love. Uh, we, we see it in the sun in the story. Uh, we need to experience this in our own life. I mean, while this, we, you know, see the Father's love in the way that He reacts, all right, this running in, in an undignified, you know, He's only inviting, uh, you know, controversy into His life, the Father in doing this, but He runs to His Son, and, but yet we don't really see the full extent of His love until we see how He responds to His Son. Look at verse 21. Again, the Son said to Him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now watch how he responds. The father, he says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. You know what? If you read this, it's almost like the son didn't even get to finish his speech. You know, this speech that he had been rehearsing all the way home. I mean, you remember that when you were a teen or maybe you are a teen and, you know, you got a curfew, you got to be home at a certain time, but you're 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes late. And so you're working out the speech on the way home, right? I mean, isn't that what you do? You just, okay, this is how I'm going to tell it. And, and you, you kind of hope that maybe your parents bite or something. And so maybe that's what this son's doing. Uh, and so he walks in and he begins with this speech and, and it's almost as if you just see the father interrupt him and he says, quick, bring the best robe and my ring, and sandals for his feet. And you know what? The son's head has to be spinning because he's got to be thinking to himself, for me, not for me. This can't be for me because each of these items was a symbol of the father's love. Jesus was very specific and intentional in sharing this story, and each of them represented something for the son. Uh, But for us too, let's look at these few together. The, The first is the robe, and the robe symbolizes uh, rest, and I want you to think about this uh, in a modern context, uh, because you know where do you wear a robe, right? 
Uh, you, you wear a robe at home. You, we, we, don't, we don't wear a robe to work, okay? You don't wear a robe to, to cut the grass, all right? You don't wear a robe when you go shopping, you know, unless you go to Walmart. I mean, I think you can get by with a, a robe there or whatever. I, I love Jim Gaffigan jokes about, you know, the robe. Like, who has time to wear a robe anyways? Like, who has that much time uh, on their hands that you can actually wear a robe? But we wear a robe around the house. I mean, you wear a robe when you're lazing around, when you're resting. And, and for this son to have his father offer him a robe, didn't mean, dude, why don't you get a shower and then we'll talk about this. You've got some splaining to do, all right? That's not what he's saying, but instead the robe was a symbol and it was a symbol that meant that he was welcome, that he was welcome to come back into the home and that he was welcome to come home and find rest. And if you think about this boy, I mean, the son is worn out from traveling. He's tired from trying to make things work on his own. He's humiliated and especially discouraged by the humiliation he's brought on his family. And his father comes to him and he offers him a robe. And does he give him a spare robe from the closet? Now, what does the text say? The text says that he gave him the best robe. Guess who owned the best robe in the house? The father. The father was saying, go get my robe and give it to the boy. Again, this was a way of the father inviting him back home. And you know what the truth is? You know what the great news is for this morning? You can come home too. You can come back to God. You can come back to him and he will welcome you back. I mean, it's just like Jesus said for us in Matthew chapter 11 uh, in verses 28 to 30 when Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, here's the thing for us. No matter how how far you've been gone, uh, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how greatly you've messed up, up, uh, the mess that you have brought on yourself or on to your family. See, the truth is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you can come home. Uh, the Father loves to welcome his children home, and he would love to welcome you home today. And remember, as Steve talked about last week, you know, our help has a name, and it's Jesus, and he offers himself uh, to you and to us. But, but he doesn't just give him a robe. Uh, he also puts a ring on his finger. Uh, the second piece there is this ring, which represents authority. You know, throughout history, men of power have always used a ring uh, to sign official documents, uh, to make clear their wishes. And in this particular day, uh, when you came upon, when you met, if you had the privilege of meeting a king or a ruler, you would kiss his ring uh, as this ring represented his power and his place uh, and his authority. And so by giving the son this ring, the father was really saying, what's mine is yours. Uh, You are a part of this royal family. You have a place uh, in this family. He was saying, you belong to me. You are and always will be my son. You know, I've had the privilege uh, to do something like that with my son uh, this past week. You know, one of the traditions we've been trying to establish in our home is to take a 10-year adventure uh, with our kids. And so my son Joel turned 10 a couple of years ago, and so just Joel and Dad, uh, we went away for a a couple of days together. And so uh, on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday of this week, I took my uh, soon-to-be 10-year-old son, Luke, and uh, we went to Ohio to do some camping, uh, but also, and kind of the uh, highlight of the uh, trip away was a day at King's Island. And uh, so we went to King's Island together. One of the things that I've discovered is that my son is fearless. Uh, He loves roller coasters. And so our goal was to ride as many coasters as we could on Friday. Here's the thing that I'm learning. I'm almost 40. 
and things are changing, you know, and my head is changing and the impact of a ride like at Kings Island, a roller coaster and what it does uh, to my head. And here's the thing, there were hardly any crowds. So we were on and off roller coasters all day long. We had ridden all of the major roller coasters by lunch. And it was the last roller coaster of the morning that I got off the ride and thought I was going to lose everything uh, that had been put into my body already that day. And I just turned to Luke and I said, Luke, daddy has to sit down for a little bit. And so we sat down. We even went out to our van in the parking lot. We had our lunch packed there. I, I laid down in the van for just a little while, regained my composure, and by the strength of God was able to continue that afternoon and do it all over uh, again. But while the purpose of the trip was sure to have fun and again to spend some great quality time together, it really provided me an opportunity uh, as a dad to look at my son and just remind him how much I love him and uh, let him know that, you know, you belong to me and here's what your mom and I, we want for your life and what we're praying uh, for you. And so kind of in the same way, I mean, that's what the father in the story is saying with the ring. He's saying, you belong to me. You are my son. And not only are you my son, but you're a part of this royal family now and you've got a part to play in the kingdom. Here's what's true for us. When we come back to God, we're not only adopted into God's family, but the scriptures say we become Christ's representatives. We are Christ's ambassadors here on this earth. Hey, Genesis Church, you got a part to play in the kingdom too. Uh, The Lord is giving you purpose. He desires to give you purpose uh, with your life. You've got a part to play. And so, you know, so often what what happens is we're left thinking, you know, I got nothing special to offer. I've messed up my life way too much to have anything for God. But that is a lie from hell because God is doing a great work in your life and he wants to do a great work in your life. And part of what he wants to do through you is have you share your story and tell your story of why Jesus makes all the difference. It's kind of like what Jesus said in in Matthew 5, uh, beginning of verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. Uh, A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, like many of the stories that we've told over these last few weeks, you too have a story to tell of what God is doing in your life and how he's using you. And the truth, it's the, this powerful reminder that he wants to use every single one of us to help people find their way back to God. The third item that he gave him was a pair of sandals. This symbolizes acceptance. And, and here's some interesting just kind of information around that. You know, in an ancient Jewish home, uh, the homeowners could wear shoes inside, but the slaves weren't allowed to. And so by giving the sandals to the boy, the father was saying, not only welcome home, but he was saying, you know, I I know you think you deserve a place of a slave in this house, but you're my son and we are family. Again, the father was reminding him of his full and true identity with no exceptions, restoring him to a place of honor in this family. You know, as I've been teaching through this these last few weeks and I'm thinking about my own life and how this applies to me. You know, I I realize that in many ways I I am the prodigal son in the story. Um, More than I realize, more than I like. I mean, I'm the prodigal son. Every time I go searching uh, to satisfy these needs and longings that God has put in me, but I go searching to satisfy these needs and other things, you know. I I try to find meaning and significance uh, somewhere else. Um, I'm the prodigal son in the story when I go searching for unconditional love where it can't be found. 
And what happens? What happens for me? What happens for us? I mean, so often the shame creeps in and and then we get to questioning and wondering, you know, and, you know, will God ever forgive me? Will God take me back? You know, will he finally give up on me once and for all? Will he finally say enough's enough? He's had enough with me. Maybe you're at that place today. Maybe you have allowed those doubts to creep into your mind, even as you were driving here today. Lies from the enemy that says, you don't deserve this. You've messed up way too many times. It's, the, it's why we all need to experience this awakening to love. The truth of his love, the truth about what he says about you and what he says about me. Brendan Manning says it this way, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. God's love for you and his choice of you constitute your worth. Accept that and let it become the most important thing in your life. See, the truth is if you've trusted Christ, uh, if you're in Christ, you are a part of the Father's family and no one can ever take that away from you. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 13, and he says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, what? Guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. See, that's good news for us. That's good news for you if you're in Christ to know that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you wander. You are a part of God's family and he will always welcome you and bring you back. It's good news for you today. If you've never trusted Christ as your savior, that he will take you in, that, he, that God sent his son to die for you so that you can be a part of God's family and that it's so much for us, so much more for us than just going to church each week. We're going through the motions. I, I want to share with you the story of one family who for many years just went through the motions of going to church, um, but their lives didn't really start changing until they awakened to the love uh, of the Father that was for them. Check this out. Well, I grew up in the Episcopal Church. I recall memorizing a bunch of things, the, the creeds, and I uh, already knew the Lord's Prayer, but just a bunch of memorization. Um, never really identified a relationship. I knew that we went to church every Sunday, and, and, and I felt good after going, but uh, maybe I think because it's what was the right thing to do. I think we had the mindset, things are going well. We've got it on our own. We don't, we're doing our time on Sunday, and then we're heading out. There was a longing for something more. I was doing things that I thought were right, but actually talking to him and relating and sharing everything with him and making it personal and making it my own, I didn't quite get it at that point. I've always grown up being a Christian, but up until last year, I didn't take it as like a personal commitment. I didn't think of it as a relationship. I would call myself a Christian because I went to church every Sunday, and that was about it. I didn't feel like, I almost was selfish, and I didn't feel like I had to do anything, and, or put any effort towards anything. Then we started going to Genesis, and everybody was just filled with this joy, and I never understood what it meant when people would say they, someone was glowing, or you could see God. And that day, I saw God. It was, I walked in and people were worshiping. They had just pure joy on their faces and I wanted it. 
because I didn't have that. And I really wanted to know what I could do to have that joy and have that happiness. I had, in the meantime, start. I joined the Genesis Women's uh, group that meets on Wednesday mornings. And I think that's um, where my relationship really started to form with the Lord. It probably wasn't a month, six weeks into that group to see the transparency of these women. And they're cool. They're cool girls. They're everyday girls. But in such a short period of time to be able to connect on such a genuine level, share things that I haven't shared with my friends that I've had for a lifetime with, and to see them be so humble and willing to share with me, it was just something I had never, ever experienced or seen. The people we met here opened us, opened their arms, non-judgmental, just felt like love. We felt that we could be open at Genesis and not uh, just uh, go to uh, Genesis and worship him and not really mean it, just go there. So that's when we found, and I found Jesus at Genesis. And so I was, I was at a, a worship night with Clyde and I was just kind of broken and they passed out prayer journals and this was new to me to write down your prayers. And I really enjoyed writing, so I thought it was cool. And so I started to write down just all my struggles I was feeling. And I almost, it was almost like I was challenging God, I remember, because I wrote down, I was just lost. And I was like, show me your love, show me your real, show me why I should believe in you. And that next week was the best week of my entire life. And it, things that I would have just thought were regular things. I saw God and it ended up being an amazing week. I challenged God and I mean, he proved, he said, I do love you and I do want you. And it just, it meant a lot to know that just a middle schooler like me and just a small person and God wanted me and wanted to prove himself to me. And I finally, I felt like I had finally had that pure joy and happiness that I saw in the people when I first came to Genesis. It's kind of amazing that we don't haven't done anything to um, get the reward of going to heaven and actually went the other way of doing that and sinned and um, did the opposite of trying to get to heaven. Since Jesus came down and um, paid the price for us to get to heaven, I think, I mean, I don't know anyone who would do that, and I think that's amazing and uh, really worth telling people about. We're all broken and we're going to continue to have struggles and storms. However, he loves us. He loves us in all our mess and all our brokenness. Jesus was our greatest example possible, perfect. And I'll never be him, but I can surrender and every day, every day commit that today I am going to honor him in everything I do. And it's, it's been rewarding, fulfilling, and it hasn't brought about fabulous riches. It hasn't brought about perfect relationships. But it's brought about a really strong relationship in the most important one I can think of, the most important one in my life.
a great story and uh, just another great family, uh, a part of this church. Um, you know, what's, the, what, what's this father do? He gives him a robe. Uh, he gives him the ring. He gives him these sandals. And, and then what happens next? Oh, he's going to throw a party. Isn't it cool to know that our Heavenly Father is a, is a party kind of a guy? Like he's a party uh, animal, and, and this is demonstrated in, in the next verse, in verse 23, uh, when he commands, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Sorry, vegetarians. Like uh, there's, there's going to be meat at this party, but he says, let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You know, maybe the best response when we wake into the reality that we're loved is to celebrate. And uh, so that's exactly what we're going to do next Sunday when we come together. And I love that uh, Matt and Charity's story and their family, for that matter, it all includes baptism. You'll see a little bit more of that uh, next week. But if you're finding your way back to God, an important step in that journey is to go public with your faith uh, in Jesus, to publicly affirm your new identity in Christ uh, through baptism. The Apostle Paul uh, said it like this in Romans 6.4. He says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You know, baptism for us is a symbol of what it means to put aside, to shed those regrets that once were following us around, those regrets that would define us. It's a way to drown out that shame uh, that can so easily hold us back. I mean, baptism represents dying to our old self and coming alive in our new self uh, in Jesus Christ. You know, when we trust Christ, uh, that moment for you, when you trusted Christ with your life, I mean, the scripture teaches that when we trust Christ with our life, when we believe, all right, our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. We are made new in Jesus Christ. And then baptism is the next step. It's the next step we take. It's a, it's a step. It's an act of obedience. I mean, when we're baptized, then we are lowered under the water just as Jesus Christ was buried in the grave, and then we come up out of the water just as Jesus Christ was raised to new life and new life for us. I mean, it's why we say we come alive in Jesus Christ. We make it publicly known that we are with Christ that we are in Christ and that that is our identity. You know, I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to have said, you know, I actually felt something as I was coming up out of the water. I, you know, I can't explain it, but I just knew something was different in that moment. Hey, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized before, my encouragement to you is why wait any longer? Why wouldn't you take that next step in your life and publicly proclaim that you are in Christ you can do that here next weekend. We're going to celebrate uh, those baptisms together. And you can sign up for that uh, through your app if you use the app. Uh, you can do that through the website. You can do that by meeting me up front today, talking with somebody uh, back at the Info Hub. Maybe somebody brought you or you've been coming with someone. Maybe you need to share that news with them. And uh, they'll help you in taking uh, that next step uh, in baptism. Maybe you've just recently made the decision to trust Jesus Christ as Lord, something you've done over the last few weeks. It's a great opportunity now. It's time to get baptized. And I just want to remind you, you don't have to have it all together. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to, you know, you know, think, you know, I've finally got all things fixed because the truth is you won't ever have it all together. Uh, but God can do that for us. And again, if you've never taken this step to publicly commit your life to him, we would love to baptize you uh, next weekend. And if you've never trusted Christ, if you've never made that decision to invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you can do it today. You can do it right now and just pray and invite him into your life and then get baptized with us here 
next weekend. And again, if you have more questions about baptism, there's a message that you can get either through our website or on the app. Uh, If you don't have either of those, talk to us afterwards. We'll be happy to get a copy of that message uh, that might answer more questions for you. But the last thing is this, you know, every week of this series, we've been inviting you to pray a prayer. And um, our prayer for this week just goes like this, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Uh, Maybe that's a prayer that the Lord will lay on your heart today, a prayer that you ought to pray. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And then this, awaken in me the awareness that I am your unconditionally loved child. Maybe that's your prayer for this morning. Uh, Maybe that's the next step for you, just to pray, God, make yourself real to me. God, open my heart to you. God, I trust you. Forgive me of my sins. I'm coming home. I want to be a part of your family today. You know, in so many ways, Jesus for us became the prodigal son really for our sake. I mean, if you think about his life, he left the house of his heavenly father and came to a foreign country and gave away all that he had and returned to his father through the cross to his father's home. And all of this he did, not as a rebellious son, but as an obedient son sent to the earth to die for you and me. We get to remember that. We get to celebrate that as we take communion. And uh, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to get up from your seat. We've got two tables up front, two tables in the back. Uh, You'll find the the bread and the juice there. And uh, you can take that and return to your seat. And when you're ready to take communion today, uh, we invite you to celebrate, to be reminded of what Jesus has done uh, for you and for us as he gave his life. Uh, so that you could have life. And um, if you're not a Christian, if you're not at a place where, you know, you're ready to take communion, uh, maybe this is an opportunity opportunity for you just to reflect on where you are today. Maybe even pray that prayer I shared with you just a moment ago. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the awareness that I am your unconditionally loved child. He loves to welcome his children home. He'll welcome you home today. Let's go now and take communion uh, together and then celebrate as we sing.